You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Christmas Doubts, from the series Christmas at Creekside. For more info, visit creekside.org. But I love Christmas Carol and Scrooge because there's hope for change. There's this, this belief that somebody that's uncaring can be caring. Someone that is a miserly Scrooge can literally become generous. I love that. Miracle on 34th Street is another great one because if you remember the, the, the 40, 1947 film classic, this little girl, um, she has these dreams. She believes, she doubts, and then she has these dreams come true if you really believe. Uh, this little six-year-old girl named Susan has doubts from her childhoods about Christmas's most enduring miracle, which is, is there a Santa Claus? And, and, and parenthetically, um, don't send me any emails about Santa Claus and Jesus or anything like that. I, I, I know there's a difference, and I'm not even close to comparing Jesus to Santa Claus or anything like that. Here, here, it's an illustration, okay? Um, but she meets this Kris Kringle at the, at the mall, and, uh, and all of a sudden he convinces her, and there's things that happen that begin to lead her to believe that there really is a Santa Claus, and isn't that what Christmas for many is about? It's moving beyond doubt to belief. In the story of Christmas in the Bible, a lot of people wonder, is it real or is it just pretend? Is it some kind of story that's filled with hallmark pictures to make us feel good through life? I mean, let's face it. Think about it. The the story is filled with supernatural, faith-demanding events, angels appearing, a virgin conceiving, God coming to earth as a little baby. A star guiding wise men. These guys are smart, but they're following this star to the birthplace of this king. Is it something that's really happened, or is it just a warm, fuzzy, religious kind of thing that we hang on to? I want us to look this morning in Luke chapter 1. I've never preached from this because I've never really seen it as part of the Christmas narrative, but it really is because it becomes the precursor to help the belief of Jesus' mother Mary and Joseph to believe in the miracle of the incarnation. And I want to look today because I think we all have some Christmas doubts. We see the very first supernatural event that took place in the unfolding of the Christmas narrative. We're going to see this old man by the name of Zechariah. We're going to see an angel coming to him and telling him that his wife is going to have a baby. He would be called John. And he would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's a relative. And he plays an important part in the early part of the ministry. So I want us to read. We're going to pick it up in chapter 1 of Gospel of Luke, verse 5. It says, Now in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest. Now you have to understand, Herod was this incredibly debauched leader. They said it was safer to be a pig than one of his family because he had killed some of his wives and some of his kids out of being concerned that maybe they might rebel against him and usurp his throne. So the saying about Herod was it was safer to be a pig than it was to be one of his family. 
Now there was a priest of Abijah's division. His name was Zechariah, and his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and both were righteous in God's sight. Notice that. Both are righteous. They lived without blame according to the commandments and requirements of God. So we see that they're, they're living right before God and before people. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and now both of them were well along in year, years. What, what that means is old, in case you, you know. So when his division was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, it's interesting because this, is, this would be like a real honor. They cast lots, and you didn't get to do this all the time. So now it's Zechariah. All of a sudden, it comes upon him to do it. I mean, this would be like if someone called me and said, hey, you want to preach in the Sistine Chapel, or you want to you know, open a Billy Graham crusade in prayer. It's a big deal for these guys. And there's interesting, as you, as you see this thing throughout the Scripture where it talks about incense, it often has to do with the idea of connectedness to prayer. So he's in there and he's praying. And at the hour of incense, notice that because he's praying at the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Now, all of a sudden, it says an angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right of the altar of the incense. I mean, I'd be like, you know, if I'm preaching away and all of a sudden this angel shows up, be a little, you know, <laughs> it says he, Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. Whenever you see these angelic beings appear to people, it often causes great fear. That's kind of what the, what, 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 when there's a weighty thing of God happening, sometimes we can be fearful. And he's what the angel said to him. Hey, don't be afraid, Zechariah. It's all good. Now, I, I highlighted this in my Bible this week. And he says, because your prayer has been heard. The reason I highlighted that is because when we get down a little further, we're going to get a little surprised. He's been praying about something, and it's been heard, but it hasn't happened. And now it's going to. Here's what he's been praying about. He says, your wife, she's going to bear a son, and you're going to name him John. And there's going to be great joy and delight for you. And many will rejoice at his birth, for you will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. And while still in his mother's womb, that's going to happen. He'll turn away. He'll turn many, excuse me, he'll turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him, speaking of Jesus in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and to the disobedient, to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. He's been praying about this. And now verse 18, after the angel Gabriel has been talking to him, this is what he said. Hey, how can I know this? Well, Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man, my wife, I mean, she's well along in years. But the angel answered and said, you know what? I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Why is it good news? Because he's really saying, you know what? Your son is going to be the foreshadow or the one that's going to really turn people's hearts to the one, Jesus Christ, who's going to be coming. Now listen, you will become silent and you're going to be unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. 
Wow. So meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed in so long in the sanctuary. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he, he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, and he kept making signs to them, but he remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home, and he was still unable to speak. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, kept herself in uh, seclusion for five months, and she said, surely the Lord has done this for me. He's looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Remember back in that day, it was seen as a curse from God to not be able to uh, be impregnated. That If you were barren, it was seen as a curse from God because the blessing of a mother would have been to have a son. So all of this takes place. I want to talk to you just a little bit about this whole thing of, of doubts. We'll come back to this text and go into it a little bit more. But you see this exchange that takes place between them where Zachariah says, listen, I don't want you to be afraid. And we see the big, kind of the big, one of the big turning points of this passage is in verse 18, where the curtain gets pulled back and we see that Zechariah doubted. Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is, well, she's old and she's been barren. I think it's important to understand, friends, that doubts come to Christ-following people as well as people outside the faith. Doubt is normal for godly people. Some find it really easy to believe in the supernatural, while others struggle from, with doubt from their youth. Some people believe from their youth. Other people, they have doubts from their youth. They want to believe, but they're honest enough not to pretend. And I always respect that in somebody that says, you know what, I don't believe. There's a guy in this church that used to come, or he still comes here, very involved. Back in, in the early 2000s, he would come here, late 90s. He used to come here, and he would do work with me. And his line was always, hey, don't preach at me, preacher. I said, don't worry, I'm not going to. Just, you know, here's a paintbrush and help out. And he would do that, and we would have all these conversations. And then it was in 2003 where he finally, God just spoke to him, and he come to Christ. And I always respected him for that because he said, hey, don't bug me with the truth or don't bug me with the Bible. I just want to come and help because his wife attended. I have great respect for that. But it is hard for people to believe, but I love it when they're honest enough. It's kind of like the little boy, you know, he came home from Sunday school. And his dad asked him, well, what was the lesson about today? And he said, well, man, it's about Moses. He was, he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And his father said, well, how does the story go? How did your teacher tell it? She goes, well, uh, well, Moses, you know, he took the slaves out of Egypt. And the, he brought the Egyptian army, and they pursued them. And they got trapped at the Red Sea. So Moses did this really cool thing. He didn't know what to do, so he called up some engineers. And they built this, this bridge to the other side. And then the next morning, they looked back, and the Egyptian armies were coming uh, across, some, across this bridge. So Moses, he got out of his radio, and he called for an airstrike. And a bunch of F-16 jets came in. They bombed the bridge, and they blasted the, the Egyptian army to smithereens, and they all drowned. It was a great story. Father says to him, well, son, is that really the way the teacher told the story? He goes, no, 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 no Dad, it's, 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 it's not the way she told it. But if I told you what she said, you'd never believe it. You know, <laughs> and, that's, and that's kind of the way a lot of the Bible is. Man, it's, it's, it seems almost unreal. But hear me, loved ones, doubts about the supernatural are normal. Zechariah is a godly priest. 
and he doubted. It's interesting because 31 years later, his son, John the Baptist, also doubted, didn't he? Remember that? You know, it doesn't fall too far from the, from the father, does it? You know, he is a father like son. John was the first to proclaim Jesus was the Messiah. Remember when he saw Jesus coming to him? And he says to him, behold, the Lamb of God who saves his people from their sins. And then, and isn't this the way faith works and our doubts work? It was just months later, John was arrested. He was thrown in prison. He's lonely and he's hurting and he's about to die. And he sends a messenger to Jesus and he says, would, would you just go check with Jesus and would you check with him to make sure that I'm giving up my head for the right cause? Would you ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah? So the guy goes and asks Jesus and Jesus says this thing. He says, you know what you tell him? John, you've seen, you've seen the blind see. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen people come to me. Go back and check the word. The guy goes back and tells him that. And John receives it. Ends up shortly thereafter giving up his life for the cause of Christ. It's interesting because it wasn't too much longer. You know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said these words. There's no greater man ever born to a woman than John the Baptist. But I love that. You know, Jesus says that about him after he's experienced his doubts. Isn't it true that life can cause those things to happen, cause doubts in our lives? When life takes a turn, I mean, we're just tempted to doubt God's promises and His love. We've prayed for a long time. They're not answered. You know, maybe you've prayed for a mate, and whether, you know, you've been praying for a mate and you're 19 and, you know, you're, or, or 38, and you want that, and you're not getting the mate. Maybe some of us have prayed for children. I remember Trina and I prayed for a number of years for children before we found out we couldn't have our own. It affects you, causes doubts. You have children that get into deep trouble. You try and help them, and nothing seems to work. You give faithfully, financially, but you still have financial difficulties. You've led a pure life. You've loved your mate to the best of your godly ability, and all of a sudden, they find somebody else. That'll cause some doubts. That was last night. We had uh, the high school Christmas party, and I don't know why I thought of it, but I was just having a good time with some of the high school students. And I was just watching them, and I was thinking, God, protect these kids. Protect these students. Because here's what I know. Some of them are going to go through some really difficult times. They're here now, but I don't know what kind of doubts they're going to face. What kind of doubts do they face in high school now? And I just said, Lord, protect them. Lord, be real to them. Some of us, maybe we've received news from a doctor of a health issue. Maybe some of us, it's a parent, and the word comes up, Alzheimer's. It's pretty, it's pretty common to question God's promises, even good people like John the Baptist. People that doubt. 
we faced that quite frequently. Remember Thomas? Thomas wanted to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. But he refused to say that he believed. He was honest. He had, he had some intellectual integrity. He wouldn't say that he believed just because all the other disciples said, dude, listen, we were here together with him. You were gone, but he came and he appeared. And what does Thomas say? He says, I'm not going to believe until I see it with my own eyes. And I touch him with my own hands. Sometimes when you don't share those same experiences with people, it's easy to doubt. You hear about all these testimonies. You hear about all of these things. You hear a story that I might even tell about somebody that, that great happens to them here through God. And you go, oh, yeah, that's great preacher. It sounds like preacher talk. You don't relate to it. That's why experiences can be somewhat deceiving. People feel like faith has to always have this high. Have you ever seen people like that? That's one of the things I try never, in, in terms of how we do services here, try and never get us too high, never too low. Because there are people who live from experience to experience. And we forget that while the miraculous happens, I believe in it. I contend for it. I want to see it. It isn't necessarily the norm. And so people, they, they read the Bible and they see a miracle on every other page in the Gospels and they forget that it's kind of a flyby of three years. And so people begin to pursue this kind of experiential spirituality. But hear me, loved ones, there's such a dailiness to walking with Jesus. That's probably the problem with Zechariah. He served in the temple. He served as a man of God, and there was just this dailiness to it. So when finally this angel comes, he goes, what? And sometimes when we don't have this high experience day after day, well, it's kind of easy not to believe or to have doubts. It can create seeds of doubts in our soul. I mean, you, feel, you may feel that even in a church service sometimes. When you see people around you, maybe they're crying during worship or maybe during the message or something that's taken place and you go, man, how come I don't feel that? Well, sometimes it can just be where you are. Sometimes it can be where they are. Sometimes it can be your personality. But if you're tempted to doubt yourself or your experience with God, that's normal. Even good people, godly people can experience that. Now, there's two kinds of doubts. There's, there's the doubts of conscience and there's the doubts of convenience. The doubts of conscience are really honest. It says, you know, I can't say I believe when I don't, but this is what I'm going to do. I am willing and I'm going to pursue and I'm going to look at the evidence to see if it is true. That has some intellectual integrity to it. But then there's the doubt of convenience and that's dishonest. And it just says, you know what, I, I don't know if it's true and it's just easier for me not to believe, so I'm not going to believe so don't confuse me with the evidence, and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not even going to examine it. That has intellectual lack of integrity. There's a lot of people like that. And that's, I think, why Jesus was always so patient with people that honestly doubted. Remember when John the Baptist sent a question. He says, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? Jesus didn't throw up his hands and go, oh my goodness, my relative, the guy that was born just a few months before me, the one that recognized me as the Messiah. He didn't go, oh my goodness, everything's going down. The ministry's going to fall apart. I can't believe it. He doesn't believe in me. I'm so disappointed. I'm going to cash it in. Sometimes I like to do that. 
No, what did Jesus say? Go back, tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, deaf hear, the poor have the gospel preached to them. He didn't say to Thomas, oh, you didn't believe? You're kidding me. You're on probation. You're not going to be able to preach the word for six months. No, Jesus graciously looks at him. And he says, Thomas, would you come here? Would you touch? Why don't you just stick your fingers right here? Why don't you stick them in my side? You want to touch me? You want to see me? Come here. The Lord's always really patient with us doubters. And he invited people all the time to investigate the evidence and his claims. He's not afraid of our questions, loved ones. He always says, come and see. You see, doubt is beneficial because it really can motivate us. It can motivate us to investigate the results and establish a stronger faith. That's why Jude 22 says this, you be merciful to those who doubt. Release Strobel. He was an atheist, and he was an editor for the Chicago Tribune. He often ridiculed Christ's followers. He thought them as naive and weak and simplistic. However, his wife started going to Willow Creek Church, where Pastor Bill Hybels is uh, the lead pastor. And she'd become a Christ follower, and she, he said, well, i got to figure this thing out now. So he went on this investigating the claims of Jesus Christ for two years, and he studied about it. And eventually the evidence convinced him that Jesus was the Son of God, and he became a Christ follower. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and it's, used, it's been used to reach many people today. Now here's the deal. Lee could have just said, you know what, that's great for my, my, my little bride, and, and do that. He could have continued in doubt, and he could have just kind of pleased himself. But he maintained enough intellectual pride that he, he, he pursued it and studied it and went after it. He investigated the evidence. And in a good conscience, he really did. He humbled himself to pursue the claims about the truth of Jesus Christ. Tennyson said years ago, there's more faith in honest doubt than in half of our creeds. Because when you do and you pursue the truth and you find the, the veracity of the truth of the Bible and Jesus Christ, oh boy, it really gives you a great confidence. But doubts can cause difficulties too. Take Zechariah. He disregarded the evidence that should have convinced him. I mean, I don't know if an angel would convince me or not. I don't know. Never seen one. But he says to this angel in verse 18, he says, how can I be sure of this? And the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now, if I'm Gabriel, I probably would say, well, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Why wouldn't you believe this? But now he says, you know what? You're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until the day these things happen and they're fulfilled. That would probably be reason enough for many of us to believe. But you know what? I've never heard of anybody who encountered an angel. But the Lord disciplines Zechariah for nine months, and he's not able to speak. And I wonder if there aren't things that happen in our lives just because of doubt and unbelief. He comes out of the holy place, and he's seen this angel, and his friends and family ask, what took you so long? And he's gesturing wildly, probably. 
And he finally says, get me a tablet. He doesn't say it. He's, get me a tablet. And he says, I've seen an angel. Elizabeth's going to have a baby. Hear me, prolonged doubt, loved ones, can rob you of your spiritual joy. It can begin to make you really cynical toward others who believe. You know how I know sometimes when I have doubts or when I'm going through difficult times, I begin to look at other people and I go, are you kidding me? Oh, they're so spiritually perky. kind of bugs me. <laughs> have you ever had that? I, I know, I shouldn't admit that. But, 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 but that tells me there's something of doubt going on in my heart when I look around and I see people doing that. Uh, it's been a really difficult couple of years here for me. I mean, church is pretty good. But for me personally, some things I've had to deal with. And I, and I got to tell you, it's caused me some doubt. Where, God, what, what, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing in me? What are you doing here? And, and, and there's this really fine, razor-thin line where if you're not careful, you can begin to doubt God. And I find that when I begin to doubt God, I can become a little bit cynical about things and people which is never good for a heart. And that's what can happen to any of us. Because, you know, once you get the reputation of being a cynic, you can begin to feel obligated to live up to it. It's your persona. Remember Ebenezer Scrooge? That's kind of how he was. He had to live up to it after a while. Anybody that would come to him. I have a pastor friend who was, um, he knew, he knew he was intimidating and so he kept that persona up probably until he was about 70 years old. Doubt can lead to temptation sometimes when we have doubts. Remember Abraham? He was wavering in his conviction that God would fulfill a promise and give him a son. So what did he do? Because he doubted that God could provide it, what he said he would do, he sets up with his uh, wife's maidservant, with Sarai's maidservant, and he has an affair with her to have a son. They have a son because he doubted what God said he would do. Interestingly, that son caused them nothing but marital strife and even strife today through history. Sometimes when we're doubting God, it can lead us to take initiative in areas that we shouldn't. Doubt can affect our prayers. Jesus said this, if you have faith and you don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, cast yourself into the sea and it'll be done. Remember when Jesus saw when Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, Peter prayed, Lord, if, if that's you, ask me to walk in the water to you. And Jesus said, well, why don't you just come on over? And because Peter had faith, what did he do? Man, for a few seconds, he was the only guy I know of besides Jesus that actually walked on water. He was performing the supernatural. He was doing it. But it's when he looked down, he looked away, and he began to look at the waves. What happened? He began to go under. What is Jesus? Peter, why'd you doubt? How many more things could we do in our life if we didn't doubt, but we could believe? Interesting, because Gabriel comes to announce, prayers have been heard and answered. It seems that, and I, and I, and I understand this, Zechariah is praying for this son, who knows how long, probably years, praying for a child. He's but, but he's praying, but he's not really believing. You ever do that? Oh, God, help this situation. But it's kind of like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do, so I do it. 
We pray, but we really don't believe uh, this. We had our men's prayer Friday morning and talked about praying uh, this story of Luke chapter 11. This Jesus tells a parable about this guy who goes to his neighbor's house and it's midnight and he's got friends that have just come from out of town. He walks over to his friend's house at midnight. He starts knocking. Hello, hello, hello. And this guy, he gets up and he goes, hey, I need some bread. I need some cold cuts. Could you provide them for me? I got some friends that just come out of town. And this guy goes, no, no, man, you're bugging me. It's midnight. You know what time it is? Whoever calls anybody at midnight? I need some cold cuts. So what does the guy finally do? He finally says this. He says, you know what? I'm going to give these to you, not because you're my friend, but in the King James it says, but because of your importunity. Now hear me. A lot of us think that God's resistant, that he doesn't want to answer our prayers. That's not true. That importunity, word importunity in the King James, some of your Bibles say persistence. I don't like the word persistence because it's not really what it means. Because we think that God's just, well, come on, just bug me some more. No, no, because you have, the idea is, is, is that there's a, a lack of shamefacedness, that, that I'm, not, I'm, I'm bold about this. I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before, I'm going to ask, because I got this relationship with this friend. And so the picture is, is that we have this friend. And you know what? When you doubt, you don't ask. I was thinking about this story as we were, as guys were praying. I said, I, gotta, I, gotta, I want some boldness this year. I want to pray some bold prayers. You know what? If one of you came to my door at midnight, you know what I'd do? I'd get up and I'd go, what in the world are you doing? But you know what my next thought would probably be after I woke up from the grogginess and I'm getting you cold cuts and bread? I'd go, wow, they must really be a good friend of mine to come and ask. They had no doubt that I'd provide for them. And that'd make me feel really good. And I think, loved ones, that's kind of how God looks at us. He goes, you know what? I want you to be bold. I want you to ask. I want you to believe that I'm going to provide. Sometimes we doubt. You know why we doubt? Sometimes it's because we love our sin more then we want to believe and we want to change. In the Bible, we're told, repent and believe the gospel. If we don't repent of some of those things in our lives, it's going to really be hard to move forward and believe God to do something. Now, based on this last couple of years, I, had to, I did this just this couple weeks ago with our staff. I just had to assess a couple of things in my life where some of it was doubt and cynicism, and, and I just had to go to the staff and said, you know something, this is, this is wrong, this is sin, and I'm going to unpack it for you, and I'm going to confess it. Because I really think it was affecting my faith for what God wants to do, first of all, in my life and in the life of this congregation. So how do we face and how do we overcome our doubts? Well, Zachariah's doubts were soon eliminated because of the evidence that was undeniable. <laughs> when you can't speak, that's a pretty good truth when someone says you're not going to be able to, just as the angel had determined. Well, then what happens is wife becomes pregnant, and then Gabriel had prophesied that and said, you're not going to speak until this, until this happens. So if you look down at verse, I want to read a few verses to you. If you go down to verse 34. Now, 
So everything has happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now Gabriel's going to come to Mary and prophesy about her pregnancy, her immaculate conception now with Jesus. So that Gabriel comes and gives her the, what's going to happen. And in verse 34, Mary asks the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Here's something really that hit me. When, when God wants to do something significant, the miraculous, and it's so easy to doubt, what do we do? We go to man. No. Let the Holy Spirit begin to work in you. I want to go to a pastor for an answer. I want to go to a teaching for an answer. No, trust in the Holy Spirit because that's what she does. You go, well, it sounds like she's doubting there. No, she didn't doubt the word. She was asking about the process. How's this going to happen? I, 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 could, I could do that, but let me know how it happens. See, she's not doubting what God says. She's just saying, okay, I'm a candidate. How's it going to happen? And maybe for some of us here today, Jesus wants to birth something new of his life in you. Don't doubt it. Say, well, how's it? I'm a candidate. How's it going to happen? Well, then verse 36, it says, And consider your relative Elizabeth, for she has conceived a son in her old age. And she's in her sixth month. For who? For her who is called barren. Underscore this. For nothing will be impossible with God. And verse 38, he says this, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible one of my top 1,000, okay? And she says this, let it be unto me according to your word. Now go down to verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son, and then her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. Then they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, no, we're going to call him John. And they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a family? What do you mean? What do you name him John for? Nobody's got that name. So they motioned to the father. Well, let's get the final word here. Find out what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. He says, they're all amazed. And immediately after he wrote this, what happens? It says, and immediately his mouth opened, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all of these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hands was with him. It's interesting. That's what we do, you know. You know, families, in a fun way, they debate about the name. Somebody, you know, you hear a name and somebody says, you know what? I don't like that name. So, you know, what do a lot of families do now? They don't tell anybody until the delivery. So nobody can argue about it. That's kind of what happened here. See, the Bible's pretty relevant. But so Zechariah, he asked for this writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is going to be John. And as soon as he obeyed, as soon as he did 
what he was called to do and to name the forerunner to Jesus, John, his tongue was loosed. Two things. If you want to overcome doubt, make sure that you're one who will examine the evidence. To conquer doubt, examine the evidence. Read the Bible and examine what it says. And when I say evidence, I'm not just talking about the virgin birth or about who Jesus Christ. I'm talking about any doubt or area of skepticism that you have in your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 10, uh, verse t- chapter 10, verse 17 says this. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. When I move into doubt, when I move into cynicism, when I really begin to question God, it's oftentimes because, oh, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading it probably at least five days a week, and I'm journaling on it, but I am not allowing it to be the living word in my life. And let's say you have doubts about God or what's going on in your life. You know what our tendency can be is to go listen to a radio program. Our tendency can be to go get a book. And all of those are good things. But sometimes we just need to go to the Bible itself. You know why? Because the Bible is the one book that has this supernatural ability to speak to us. It says that it can cut to the inner person of your life, deep into your soul, it can speak to your spirit. And sometimes we want to hear this guy, we want to hear that man, we want to hear this woman, instead of going to Jesus, the living word. The place to begin, loved ones, is always in the Bible. Get a translation that you can understand and enjoy. One of my favorites for devotions is the message. It's a translation or an interpretation but it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's just got great prose, and it's almost poetic in its writing. It's like a story. But go to the Bible, that's going to be one of the first essential things in overcoming any doubts. There's value in reading commentaries and books by other people, hearing other teachers, that's, that's great, I'm not putting that down at all, but the priority has to be the Bible, loved ones, the first in growing in gaining insight into your doubts and to why. Here, do this. Never forget what the angel said to Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. And some of us, you know, we have given up on some of the impossibilities in our life. And I want to challenge you today in this next season, don't give up on them. Decide to obey God's word. When you hear something of God's word, commit to doing what it says. When Zechariah humbly obeyed God's command, that's when he was able to speak. See, after you've examined the evidence, there comes a time when you have to decide, what am I going to do with what I know now? And sometimes it's a step of faith. You may not be totally convinced, but at some point you've got to move. That's what happened with Zechariah. He said, that's it, it's John, write it down. Boom. He's freed. His tongue is loose. Several years ago, I, was, I looked into laser surgery on my eyes. I don't know about you, but that's a big decision. I mean, you know, because I, I went and I did the research. I did some reading on it. I went to this doctor. He showed me one that they did and how they had these razors that go onto your eye, and it's got to be really perfect. And it's just like, whoa, do I really want to do that? I talked to some other people that had it, and they said, oh, it's the greatest thing 
in the world. I got all the information, and at some point I had to decide, would I trust the doctor? Would I trust the procedure? Would I trust the machine? Or do I want to just continue to have to hassle glasses and contacts? I decided to have it done. I did it on a Wednesday, the Wednesday of all times. I did it on the Wednesday before Easter of uh, 2007 or 2008, and uh, I was able to speak that Sunday. They told me it would probably be two days down. I was only down one. But here's the deal. I had to make a decision. I could spend the rest of my life investigating, do I want to have this procedure, doubting, fretting, worrying about it, or did I just choose to believe and take the risk? And I did it, and I'm so glad I did. See, loved ones, you can walk in doubt. You can walk in spiritual darkness. You can trust your own understanding the rest of your life. But Jesus Christ offers to perform spiritual surgery on your eyes and on your heart so that not only you can see, but you can believe. And here's the, do you believe to choose the evidence and to act and to walk in faith about him? Or do you reject the evidence and say, I'm not going to bother investigating it? And you will never see the miraculous happen in your life. You'll never see the powerful miraculous happen around your life until we begin to respond like Mary. I, you know, I don't get it. But Lord, let it be unto me. Let it be unto me. According to your word, I don't understand it. Mark 9 says that when a man brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus, he was distraught because this demon would sometimes inexplicably throw his son into the fire. So this man comes to Jesus and he pleads, Jesus, if you can do anything, please have pity on us. What did Jesus say to him? He said, if I can, <laughs> all things are possible to him who believes. And what does the man say? He says, Lord, I believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. This is what I love about that. It tells us that doubt and faith can coexist in the same heart. So how do we increase our faith? We act on the faith, loved ones, that we have. And God's always going to give us this increased faith. Nothing's impossible with God. Let it be unto me, God, according to your word, would you speak to me?